The following was recorded live at Podtails on October 20th, 2019, using hardly improvised recording equipment. The sound quality isn't great, but we hope you'll enjoy it anyway. Today we present Love Sounds, creating ethical adult audio fiction with Toe Zaman. In this talk, Toe examines when and why it's worth incorporating love and eroticism into your audio fiction, in a way that's true to your story, tasteful to your audience, and ethical for your cast and crew. All attendees walked away from this presentation empowered with tools and tips to bring out a whole new palette of emotions and experiences in their story. Toe covers how to handle sensitive topics, best practices for writing and directing those scenes, and how to apply these techniques to broader storytelling endeavors outside of adult audio fiction. So before we jump in, I just wanted to give you a heads up about what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be talking about audio fiction aimed at adults 18 years old and up. This talk contains explicit audio, images, and downright filthy language. Um, we, we are going to be discussing how to handle tough topics such as mental health, sexual assault, harassment, and abuse. There's a chance that we might tangentially mention topics around distressing current events, for instance. And we hope you'll participate as best and as safely as you feel able. Um, for whatever reason, if you need to step out, that's totally fine by me. You don't need to explain it or announce it um, if you don't want to. Um, as I said, all the slides will be available online for free after the talk. Um, I don't know how I'll distribute it. I guess like, um, if you have Twitter, what I'll do is I'll just post it like as a tweet like with a public link, and you can access it that way. Um, if that's not a platform you use, I understand. Um, just find me after the talk and um, give me a tap on the shoulder, and I'm happy to give you my email. Um, and like I said, um, please feel free to ask questions anytime. Um, so before we jump in again, um, I kind of just like to establish like what are our goals for this talk. Um, so what my goals for you all are that by the end of this talk, you'll be able to answer, you know, what is adult audio fiction or erotic audio drama? Who makes it? Where can I find it? Why make it at all? Um, <laughs> when it can be an effective storytelling tool? how we can make adult audio drama um, ethically, tastefully, and skillfully. And um, after all of those goals, and just kind of throwing them all at you, I was wondering if you could maybe take a minute to kind of reflect on what your goals might be coming in here. Um, what do you want to learn, and what do you hope to get out of it? Um, we're kind of breaking free from a lot of formats, so this is really a perfect opportunity to kind of tailor it towards you, and that's um, you know, what I'm here to do. So take a minute to just like think, like, why are you here? What do you want to find out? And you can raise your hand or you can just say it. I want to put more explicit stuff in my podcast in cool. season two. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what's that podcast called? The 1237. The 1237, cool. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's great. Um, so um, what do you mean when you say you want to put more explicit things in? So in season one, we had one episode where two characters had sex, but it wasn't explicit. It was, well... It was very explicit that they did that, but it wasn't, there was yeah. nothing in there that was, you know, any adult content. So I want to kind of approach that in season two, maybe, because we'll have a lot of mini episodes that revolve around two characters being together in the past. And I think I would like to put something like that in there, in the mini episodes, so that if people can't listen to it for some reason, it's a bonus content. They don't have to listen to it, but I would, yeah, I would like to put that in. It's great. And um, the reason I ask is because I think it's also, we're all coming from a culture that is so fraught around discussions of erotica and sexuality or love and eroticism that we might all have different cultural understandings of what it is. And that is fine. Um, in order for us to get on the same page and learn together about it, I was kind of curious to learn what y'all's definitions are. So, um, you know, what does it mean when I say adult audio fiction? And there's no right answer. I'm just curious, like, what your associative mind brings up when I say it back. Uh, Audio fiction with subject matter that is not appropriate for the, the 18 and under crowd. Sure. Uh, I mean, definitely, like, ex when you have explicit sex scenes, not just, like, fade to black, but mm -hmm. when we're, we're experiencing that with the characters through audio. Sure. Um, do we have any other associations with it? So my association with the term is decidedly around sexuality, even though in my world, the stuff I don't want my five-year-old to hear is not the sexy stuff. So we don't call it adult just because it's full of people shooting each other. We call it adult when it's had sex in it. I want a better framework for understanding both those things and how to craft something for an audience. Sure. So. so it sounds like we have some common themes around, you know, adult language, adult sexuality, and violence. Um, mm -hmm. Do we have any other um, associations or connotations with um, adult content? And it's okay if we don't. I'm just curious. Cool. Um, so what, um, what, what about when I say, like, the word erotic? Um, like what, what are our associations with that? 
And also, I'm going to get away from this party. I'm sorry. I feel very teacherly. <laughs> <laughs> It's like everybody ripped the covers off your English books, <laughs> y'all. Like, I'm the, I'm the cool teacher. <laughs> Do you want to use the board? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, can people still hear me if I sit here? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so um, when I say erotic, what are our associations with that? Usually associate erotic with, like, it's meant to be experienced by the audience along with the characters. Like, it's there for the audience's pleasure. Oh, I like that. Like, okay. yeah, mm, I like when you that. read, like, erotic fiction versus romance fiction, that seems to be something that's very much there. Like, there's a lot of focus on that, and it, it seems to keep the audience in mind as like a participant. Okay, I like that. Um, so when you say when you say experience pleasure, um, do you mean that like in like the realm of the senses? I mean, because I've seen I forget what it's called. Like, I've seen things that aren't explicit. Yeah, senses. Because like I've seen things that aren't explicitly sexual that are very erotic, like conveyed through media, oh, where the same principles apply. Is there an example of something you can think of that's not sensual, but appeals to erotic sensibilities? And it's okay if you don't. I know, yeah. I'm, th I'm throwing like crazy questions at you. <laughs> yeah, outside of some like Sheryl and Kenyon novels, that okay. kind of, it, it, it touches on like the same levels in like different categories, not all involving sex, but that's, yeah. Sure, yeah, um, so that, that, yeah, that pretty much nails it. That was gonna be the one thing that I add is that yes, um, erotica appeals to senses. However, it's also designed to appeal to sensibilities. And then when I say sensibilities, uh, I'm talking about basically um, a large spectrum of unstated feelings and associations and connotations that our mind makes um, attached to those feelings. Um, so again, this is, I know this sounds like very obnoxiously like like Socratic, like when people literally stabbed Socrates over being this annoying. <laughs> people literally go around being like, what is truth? And people would just feel like, leave me alone. <laughs> Um, so I don't want to be like, what is sexuality? But um, I, but I, but I, I do have a couple more associations. So I'm kind of just trying to learn, like, so like, what are the associations that you have when I say like sexuality? Like, what does that mean? I think sexuality and erotic are separate. Okay. Um, because erotic is intentional. Uh, yeah, it's something that you put out there to get somebody hot. Okay. Uh, sexuality is a quality. That's in because I like with caravan. I don't. I never put it together with erotic. Oh, okay. Uh, but because it's it's sensual because it's necessary in the storyline. You just go there oh, where okay. other people put the brakes on. But erotic would be like, oh, I'm turning in there just to get turned on. Okay. Um, what do you mean when you say hot? Um, damp. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Leave a puddle. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's a, no, that's a perfect place to answer. Yeah, so, you, you know, um, the, the best answer I have ever heard for sexuality is what gets you hot and bothered, um, which I think is a wonderful definition. Um, the, one that, the, the one that I like to use, and again, I am not a sexologist or a sex educator, and that is fine by me because, frankly, I found many sex educators to be complete hacks. But um, what I will say is that um, what I define sexuality as is a spectrum of feelings and the capacity to experience them. Um, and then, so the title of this talk is Creating Ethical Adult Audio Fiction. So I guess my last question for you is a really easy one, is what is ethical? <laughs> um, what, what, what comes to mind? Consent. Okay. Uh, what about it? Just that any... Like anything can be ethical so long as all of the parties involved like have agreed to participate in that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of taboo around BDSM because people are like, oh, it's so violent, it's so bloody. It's like if everybody there is agreeing to everything that's happening, then it can it's ethical. Sure. Um. So when you say it's ethical, what does that mean? So they've all agreed to it, but what what is the quality of ethical? Like, is that good, bad? Um. There, I, I don't think it has good or bad connotations. I think it's a strictly neutral existence. Sure. Uh, um, does anyone, yeah, go ahead. What came to mind quickly for me, and I don't know if this is going to make sense, so I'm thinking out loud, sorry, uh, is that ethical work is work where you consider the possible impact of what you're doing. Sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Take that, keep that in mind as you work. So even if you're telling the story of consensual BDSM, which is super, which is fine, if you're telling it in a setting where it's going to create, like people are going to draw um, conclusions about it that will increase stigma, that mm -hmm. may not be the most ethical choice. Okay. Um, that's very much, I guess in my mind, it's something the creator needs to keep in mind during the creating and writing process. Uh, it's trying to tell stories in a way that doesn't, doesn't do any harm. Mm -hmm. I like that. So you, you mentioned harm, that sticks out to me, yeah. okay. Um, it's intentional to me. 
Okay. It's not yeah. something that it's not, you know, it's I feel like you can have a lot of things that end up being ethically done, but I feel like to have something to make something ethical, it has to be done intentionally because you put you, you know, you're putting together uh, you know, I hate saying the word intentional again, you're putting together <laughs> intentions to make something quote unquote right in your mind, the way that you think it should be done in the way that yeah, that's what Kant believes. Is like, yeah, the, the, the intent there has to be there in order to be good. I think for me as well is like safety. Mm-hmm. That it's got clear boundaries that you have set, where you tell people exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can opt out at any time and feel safe in the actual experience because they know that they're not trapped in it. They can just sure. Can I ask a question? Um, so, so, so if, if if something in order for, in order for something to be ethical, if it has to be intentional, um, can unethical things be done unintentionally? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was actually going to kind of say that I feel like ethic, ethicality the, is the culmination of intent and impact. Whereas like you could, with the best of intentions, be trying to create something that is helpful or doesn't hurt anybody. But if it's hurting people, that's unethical. So, like, it needs to be intentional, but it also, you need to think about impact. And, like, one of the things that comes to mind for me is there's, like, a lot of people who create things uh, that, like, are really, really good things, but because of, like, I don't want to say a lack of a tagging system, but, like, sometimes you you will consume some kind of media that is harmful or triggering to you because there was no way, like... Trigger warnings are so, I feel like that's like a big thing in ethicality is like making a way to, you need to express the way you might hurt somebody and think about that. I would agree with that. Um, And I think that's a great tie in because um, I think what we're all going to be hoping to walk away with today are some ways that we can show our intentionality about that. And, um, um, and, you know. You know, people much smarter than I am for thousands of years have been trying to decide, you know, what is ethical and what isn't, and there are a lot of schools of thought around it. Um, where I land on it is something approaching utilitarianism, and very simply what that means um, is essentially, um, you know, promote happiness and reduce suffering. Um, and, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, oh, there's no such thing as, like, ethical consumption under capitalism. And, you know, I sort of disagree with that. And that I don't think ethical, I, I don't think in order for something to be ethical, it has to mean that no harm comes to anyone. Um, the way I understand it to mean is, you know, doing the least harm with the most information available to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to agree with me on that. In fact, if you disagree with me on a thing, like, please feel free to speak up about it. I, I want to be clear, like, I'm really not a fan of the, like, the, the teaching top-down <laughs> model. Um, so, like, it, this is, like, I really want people to feel comfortable to, like, speak up of something you know really doesn't so well with them. Um, so the, the reason I kind of throw all of these questions out there is, um, you know, I, so I was asked to kind of talk about how to create ethical adult audio fiction. And, I, you know, I, I think the reason that I'm being brought on for this is because of Caravan. Um, and it's totally okay if you haven't heard it. I will not judge. Um, can I ask who has? Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> cool. All right. So I have the Caravan fan club, which is nice. Um, okay. So I just had great pictures, like this, like, sad anime twink, like, <laughs> well, like, his, like, two thin, hot white roomies, like, make out in the back end. It's, like, from Fruits Basket. But anyway. Um, so um, in, 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 this, in, the, in this scenario, I am the sad twink, which you will find out. Um, so, 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 so this slide is called um, How Caravan Was Born. And I kind of want to give you just a little bit of background about where I was coming from when I was making Caravan to give you an idea of you know, why I made um, this show the way that I did. And if you haven't listened to it or don't know anything about it, that is also completely okay because it's going to be like so literally like explained why it was like this. Um, so I do, I, I wrote it um, through this um, podcast collectively called The Whisper Forge and we all, a bunch of us, pretty much the, most of the founders met at this um, college uh, just a couple of miles from here called Emerson College, and it was ranked the number one most LGBT college, um, LGBTQ-friendly college in the country. Um, and I found that to be very true if you were white. I did not find that to be true um, if you weren't. Um, but I started um, writing for The Whisper Forge by um, joining a team for a show called Ars Paradoxica in season two um, around 2015, which is super weird. Think like I can't believe it's been like four years now. Like this is super bizarre. Um, but even back then, and it's hard if you if you if you're new to audio fiction, it's, it's it can be hard to imagine what audio fiction was like even four years ago. But the explosion in diversity we have had is a direct result of so many people pushing for it so recently, and those people are all like 
here, like upstairs, down the gaming counter. It's like super bizarre. But um, even in 2015, um, the space was not as diverse as it is right now. Um, and I saw basically no queer trans or um, POC representation at any time um, in the medium. Um, and when I tried to see any kind of portrayals of myself, um, you know, anywhere in media, whether it was in plays or in movies or in books <laughs> or in stories, um, all that representation, even at the intersection of different identities, was always along a singular axis. So, for example, um, if I was seeing queer rep anywhere, um, that, that queer character was white. And if the queer character, you know, happened to be Asian, it was always East Asian, you know, somebody who was Chinese or Japanese, you know, not like, um, so like, we're, so I'm South Asian, like, you're, we're considered like jungle Asians, essentially. Um, and, you know, if there was a South Asian character that I was seeing, that character was absolutely cishet. You know, like, there was no way that there was a queer South Asian person being portrayed. And, you know, if there was, you know, a trans, you know, person, a trans South Asian person being included in anything, which was, again, now we're going down to, like, the 1% of the 1% of media out there, um, it was a very binary representation. Um, and then finally, I just felt like if I saw anyone like myself ever, they were completely and utterly desexualized. Mm. Um, and in desexual and in be being desexualized, being dehumanized. And when I say being desexualized and thus being dehumanized, I don't want to suggest that you have to be sexual in order to be human. That is absolutely not the case. However, sexual feelings are something many people experience. Um, and, you know, as somebody who experiences those feelings and has the capacity for them, um, every representation I saw of people who looked like me was absolutely repulsive, right? They were really unctuous and studious, and they were either like gas station engineers or doctors or terrorists. Like, it was a very odd gamut of things that we were <laughs> qualified to be. Um, and you know that really just started getting to me. So um, I, I kind of wanted. So I kind of started looking around at what media I saw myself represented in, and I wanted to ask you guys, like, um, where have you seen queer, trans, POC represented? And it doesn't have to be an endorsement of it if you don't like it. I'm just curious. Like, it doesn't have to be good representations. <laughs> just curious, like, where, where have you seen like, like queer, brown, and black people being represented sexually? <laughs> And it's not an indictment. Question mark, sex education? Sure. Like the characters in like a, a hetero relationship, but the, the coding there is possible. We'll see what happens in season two. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Basically why I came to audio fiction. Yeah. That's fair. Because it didn't exist. Why I found Caravan. I was looking yeah. for that to exist. That's fair. Yeah, you know, I you know, okay, go ahead. I was gonna say fan fiction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's where I. <laughs> yeah, for me it was less. I, you know, I grew up on a lot of fan fiction. For me, it was less fan fiction and more fan art because I yeah. found that in fan fiction, characters were kind of always coded to be white unless very explicitly called out as such. But fan art was very explicitly like I'm making Harry Potter an Indian boy, right? Yeah, um, which yeah. I was really into. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I want to <clears throat> triple underline on the not an endorsement, but I've seen a lot of that in pro wrestling. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a number of characters. Um, the Velveteen Dream is a current character yeah. that I actually really like, but yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, so you know what I found is that, um, and, and sorry, could you expand on like, how, how they were portrayed sexually, if at all? Well, so um, it, 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 it's not, not really <laughs> okay. explicit, and it's not really, you know, obviously it's a, you know, it's a combat sport, um, but there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of theater of it and everything, and there's a lot of like, um, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Now I'm blanking. I, 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 yeah, I might not. I might not be able to, to come up with a great, great example. But 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 there are like, you know, very very kind of sexual overtones to like, you know, you know, they would be they'd be kind of taunting people in a way that 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 sort of kind of kind of uh, uh, a lot of you know a lot of a lot of it would be like the the they they would be kind of toying toying at and kind of pulling at somebody's like obvious uncomfortability with like homosexuality or with like that kind of sexuality and they, they would kind of be pulling at that. Which again, not great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even if it's not overtly sexual, like obviously like violence is extremely sexualized, yeah, right? Absolutely. Like, like, like people just get off on that. Like we have so much torture porn, which is the other thing that I re realized really recently is like we talk a lot about objectification of women and violence against women, but we don't talk about just objectification of violence, period. I was watching this like um, one of the newer James Bond movies and like where um, James, like it's um What's his name? The really Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Um, yeah, he's like he is like shredded for the gods, but he is like stripped <laughs> naked and like tied to a chair, and they're like whipping his yeah, balls yes. specifically. And like, <laughs> there is no way that you can tell me that that was just meant to like inflict harm. Like that was obviously meant to like also titillate. So we obviously have this association of like violence being eroticized in our culture, right? Um, 
So where I saw queer trans POC being sexually represented, um, so like I, I just think it says something that in 2019, if I want to see two brown queer people having sex, I have to get a star subscription and watch American Gods <laughs> one episode. And like that is really interesting. Like, like, we, like, like people talk about just like how this culture has gone so awry, everything is like so licentious, but like even Game of Thrones has so much like squeamishness around portraying like penises at all or portraying any kind of queer male sexuality as anything other than deviant. Um, so, I, so I just found that, okay, well this obviously doesn't exist. Um, so this is why I want to make Caravan. Um, and so the reason I'm telling this story is not to say like, oh wow, I'm this like vanguard who's like creating this character because I'm sure other people have wanted to see it and I'm sure other people have made media for it. Um, but it was more to say that the reason, one of the reasons I decided to make erotic audio fiction was to humanize people who have been continuously desexualized and thusly dehumanized. Um, and then, um, so, uh, so Caravan was born, and this is what we set, to, uh, set out to do. Um, what we set out to do was um, sexy pusheen. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just really buff pusheen and a donut. Um, so, 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 yeah. So here, here are the goals um, that we that we set out to um, have. So um, one of the goals was. Um, uh, we wanted to play to the strengths of audio as a medium to fill a hole that hasn't been filled. Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm aware. Uh, but again, but again, uh, for audio, um, you, you know, like, because as audio, like because we're not television, we don't have to make thirty-minute episodes with slots for you know fifteen-minute ads. Um, you know, we have we really just have the freedom to make it you know whatever length we want, about whatever we want, essentially. Um, so, I, so I just felt that audio was a really good medium to do that in. Um, our other goal was to tell a story that portrays multiply marginalized people as not just sexual, but as desirable. Um, so um, the, um, pr the protagonist of the um, show is Samir. He is a canonically chonky boy, is how I would describe him, right? He is explicitly non-thin. And that was really important to me because even if a character's size or physicality is never mentioned um, in a story, um, people will automatically read that person to be thin, right? Because all the heroes we have seen presented are thin, unless they are a fat superhero in which their fatness is somehow a part of their superpower for some reason, which is also just disgusting to me. Um, so our other goal was to use eroticism as a vehicle for examining existentialism. And um, so how do I explain it? So, so this is the part which is like very vulnerable. I don't have any difficulty talking about it, but if this is a subject that makes you uncomfortable, I completely understand, and like, please feel free to like exit the convo. Um, so um, I, you know, I'm a person who lives with um, major depressive disorder, and you know, I think part of that is medical, but I think part of that is extremely justified, um, given you know the current state of the world that we live in. And you know, personally, like a question I ask my therapist a lot is, how am I supposed to come when you know there are children in concentration camps for like over a year, right? Like, like, like I just could not wrestle with those two things. And you know, I was just saying like it is impossible for me to experience any desire or joy um, or feel like I deserve any of that when there are people who are suffering right now, and I feel like I'm tacitly you know complicit in that in some way. Um, and, you know, what Caravan really sets out to do is show, okay, well, here are a bunch of people who are in literal hell and asks, okay, how do people in literal hell find, find joy? How do they find a reason to connect with each other and a reason to continue seeking pleasure and enjoyment and solace in each other um, when the world around them literally tells them that they shouldn't? Um, so that was what I meant by eroticism as a vehicle for examining existentialism. And uh, in order to do all this, we wanted to lean on uh, four different production, um, I guess, tools uh, to, to make this happen. So we wanted to lean on the writing. Um, one, to convey an experience that's tasteful, politically bold, yet still entertaining. Uh, we wanted to leverage the acting uh, to paint a picture that's <coughs> visceral, titillating, and fantastical while remaining relatable. Um, also, please ask me to repeat anything, or if a word doesn't make sense, I have been awake for three days, I don't know if I'm saying <laughs> words. Um, um, we wanted to employ sound design to portray an experience that feels suspenseful and realistic. And uh, we wanted to compose music to flesh out a scene that's cerebral, emotional, gratifying, and hot. Uh, and when I say this, like, these are all like key goal words that like, I had written down. For, like, this is what I want this show to be. Um, so I think the best way to do this is to show, like, this is, like, again, I am not a sexologist. I'm not an expert on making all audio drama ever. I'm really just trying to give you a case study of here is what I did, here is what worked for us, here is what didn't, and like 
here are the mistakes that I learned from and like what I want y'all um, to hopefully do. Um, so I, I, I do have to share this picture. So this is a picture of a vampire holding a beautiful woman, ostensibly a woman, um, and it says, dump Chad and get yourself a Vlad. And I just have to do it because um, our good, our good mention here. You should dump pretty much every Chad in media. <laughs> they have not been rehabilitated yet. That being, that being said, this chat is a treasure. I, 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 <laughs> um, so, so to give you all, like, so, so, to, so in order to kind of just, I didn't want to keep talking around it in circles, be like, well, we wrote this like great like audio erotica. But the fact is, is I feel like I, I feel like Caravan is like still rather tame. Um, unfortunately, yeah. but, however, um, it is very explicit for what we understand audio fiction to be. Um, and so, you know, part of what was ethical for me is I just did not want to jump straight into, you know, full-on public werewolf gangbang. Like, I needed it to get to people. Yeah, that's you. Like, you, think, you think I'm joking, but like, I, I, but like, I really wanted to get ease people into the idea of monster fucking because not everybody is has that as a as a frame of reference. So I wanted to start with something. I was like, okay, what is is like the safest, safest, you know, monster fucking situation that I can kind of introduce listeners to, and it was sex with a vampire. So we worked on this scene, and um, uh, so it's not even the most explicit sex scene, I don't think. However, things that sound pretty normal on paper sound much more explicit when they're in your ears, particularly like when you're at work. So I figured, <laughs> uh, so I figured what's best is if I just play you this scene, this um, sex scene that we had. Um, in Caravan, and then we'll kind of break it down and see what works about it and what we had to do to put it together behind the scenes and, you know, what I learned about it um, moving forward. So, um, I, I, again, I sincerely apologize for anybody um, who is not able to necessarily hear the audio. I'm putting it at the loudest volume. I will, I, I have, I will have this whole slideshow up available later, and there's also, um, it comes with a transcript um, up. Maybe. Yeah, it also comes with a transcript that you could read along with on the scene if you decide to um, play it on the slides. But I, I apologize, we're just not able to get it up on the projector. Um, so here is the audio, I hope. I've got a lot of awkward teenagers to make up for in promiscuity. So, did I not just warn this would hurt? I know, but I want to know what that feels like. I guess that's why I took you in and Banshee too. I want to feel something. And then the words start coming out of me before I can even filter myself. It's like there's another me inside me, a, a real me. One that can do and say whatever he wants in this space. I want it to hurt. I want to taste this deliciousness you speak of. I want to feel something. I want to feel everything. Something's changed in me. This must have been what the dark phoenix felt like. I feel hot and breathless, and powerful, and fucking sexy for once. My thighs close firmly around Miguel, and he looks into my eyes with awe, and even a flash of fear, but then it narrows into a rakish leer. I'm biting your neck this time. Then shut up and do it. As he pushes me back against the weights in the wagon and climbs on top of me, I turn my head to the side to give him an easier time. <laughs> if I thought it felt good the first time he bit me, biting into me here is like, God, I don't know. How do I even describe it without sounding like some smutty romance novel? There's no romance here, though. Any facade of propriety this guy had around me drops the second he sinks his teeth into me. He greedily slips one hand under my shirt and another into the waistband of my pants and he stops right there and comes up for air to meet my gaze again. Is this all right? Don't you fucking stop. I feel my blood rushing into all these different places in my body at once. My head starts spinning. His skin on mine feels cold and hot at the same time. It makes me shiver. I try to keep my trembling a secret, though. He feels it right away. And it only eggs him off. I keep reminding myself this isn't real, but is something any less real if it's not happening in open space? Miguel's body feels real, all right. If this is a dream, it's the most tactile dream I've ever had. Cody's toned and hard in all the right places. 
My eyes lock on a face-up card that fell to the floor away from the rest of the deck on the box. It looks like a tarot card. It's an arcana I've never seen before, though one they must only have in the canyon. The vampire. Are you finished whoring around? <laughs> <laughs> I see so many red faces right now. <laughs> I think I think people are damp. Um, <laughs> to put it, um, so so I want so the reason I wanted to put that out there is to just say okay, so now let's break down from a production standpoint how we piece that scene together and you know what what were the techniques that we used. So um, basically, the way that I had framed it in the um, slideshow is that there's like a there's like a now the nitty gritty and then it breaks down to four categories. So the first one is production. Yeah. Yes. And at some point, maybe you are going to say this, but can you say like who is doing this and like how many people on your team and stuff like sure, that? Sure, sure. Um, so by who is doing this, do you mean the characters or like... No, okay. the, your like team of production. Sure, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so uh, the, t there are two actors in the scene. So um, one is Sushanta Laka, who is a first-time voice actor mm -hmm. and just phenomenal. And the other is Bernardo Cabrera, who um, is a professional voice actor. Um, so they are the two voice actors, and then um, the audio editing was done by um, Kyle Boyce, who is actually here today. Um, the sound design was done by Misha Stanton. Um, the environmental sound design, which is um, much more subtle in this specific scene, was done by Ana Rodriguez. And then um, the writing and direction were me. Um, and then I think, so I think that's what, maybe seven people? Am I, is that, am I okay at math? Um, yeah, so that, was about, so that was about the number of people that worked on. Oh, and Travis Reeves, who did the music um, and is just an absolute superstar. Um, so um, does that answer the question? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so, um, so moving into production, uh, what, what the rest of these images are, are basically, it's like, you'll see it if you look at the slideshow, but they're um, just different, like, creepy images of, like, Midwestern Gothic stuff with, like, quotes from the show. So, like, one says, I want it to hurt, I want to taste this deliciousness you speak of, I want to feel something, I want to feel everything. And then there's another one of, like, two skeletons kissing, and it says, kiss me, goddammit, which is um, from the finale. Um, so here are uh, so here's what we did to try to make it clear what our intentions were. Uh, so we put a content note in the written show notes, uh, also in our transcript, and also at the top of the actual episode. So um, I think the way that it, we put it in the episode is we said, you know, this episode um, includes Audible, BDSM, and Intercourse. Um, and, and I think the way we like put like a tongue-in-cheek thing on it is we said, you know, like, so if you're at work or something, just remember employees have to wash hands before they return to work. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so to folks kind of wondering, like, where, like, you know, what the format of the content note should be, how should we warn people, the advice that I would give is, you know, it doesn't have to be all-encompassing, you know, it doesn't have to be like, and then this, you know, it includes like male moaning and like this much like pushing against the crates or whatever, but, um, you know, I, I try to think like a good, a good guideline is like, you know, allergen warning on like food, you know, it says like contains soy, you know, like just like cover like the general like obvious bases. Um, and people who have more specific, um, people who have more specific triggers, um, that is very common. However, I think most of us who have them have kind of come to develop our own coping mechanisms because we don't expect necessarily everybody to know what they are. But if you if you have some foreknowledge of it, please feel free to include it. Um, and, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but I just didn't want to interrupt you. What I do generally is I always say, uh, in the show notes, like if you need something more specific, feel free to contact us and ask. Because obviously, I know sometimes that stuff that's just way too specific yeah. for me to think about. So I always say, just kind of like, if there's something very, very specific, feel free to reach us on Twitter or whatever and ask if it's in the episode. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great policy. And then you know, like 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 I said, you know, we put like a little humor of it in in the end. So I said, you know, you can keep the content note in the tone of your show, but you want to be sure that it's sensitive and not irreverent, right? So you know, we we made the joke about like washing your hands. Like the joke is very clearly like, oh, horny people listen to caravan, and not that like, oh, you're a bad person if you're bothered by this content in some way. Um, and then you know there were um, so and then this was like kind of one of the lessons that I learned. Um, thankfully, not from anything bad happening, um, but just something um, that I learned um, actually from, this is uh, something I took from David Reinstrom, actually, who is also just an angel of a human being. But um, David runs this um, audio uh, drama creators Slack channel just full of tons and tons of audio drama creators. And every time someone is brought on, David sends them this sheet just saying, hey, like, welcome to the Slack channel. Like, here's a document just explaining like what the rules of the, the Slack channel are and like 
how the culture works. Um, and I just thought that was phenomenal, and that was something I wanted to adopt for my production process, so full credit to David. Um, but for season two, uh, what, what I've started doing is, in addition to sending the hire document for someone, like whether it's the offer letter or the contract, I also send them a separate um, document called a culture and expectations document. Um, and it just outlines um, a number of things about what we expect in the production process, like whether it's you know timeliness or you know what our <coughs> timelines and reporting procedures are. Um, but most importantly, um, if you are going to include such a document, and I strongly suggest that you all do, um, that you institute a harassment policy within it. Um, and then you should also clearly outline a chain of escalation to whom one should um, submit complaints and what to do if those people aren't viable options. So in our culture document, it says, you know, Obviously, bring it up to Toe, but like if Toe is the problem, like bring it up to Misha, and if Misha is the problem, like bring it to Julia Shafini, and if Julia Shafini is the problem, like bring it to any founding member of the Whisper Forge. Like whatever you do, like please don't be silent about it. Like we will listen, right? Like that was our goal. And then um, the last step that I would give you all is require signatures from your entire team on the documents. Just like they sign an offer letter, we expect people to sign um, the culture document. Also. Um, if you want these things, so when I post it, um, if you click on transcript, it will actually give you the transcript of that episode so you can see how the content note was written. And if you click culture and expectations document, um, at that public request, a lot of people ask, well, what is your document? Um, so I've made that public so you can actually see what culture document we send out to people when we hire them for Caravan. Um, and please feel free to copy paste it and use it um, on your own. I fully encourage it. You don't, no need to credit for it. Um, we're doing good on time. Okay. Um, so then the next like um, like kind of vertical of production. So we said now the nitty gritty uh, writing. So obviously writing is the part that like I'm the most passionate about, right? So it has like the most bullet points. But um, <laughs> but um, tell me if any of this is useless, and I'll speed up. I don't know. Um, so here here are the pieces of advice that I wanted to give y'all. And I actually think that these are like really uh, I, I really wish these were on a screen so some people could copy them. Then, but I just hope you please go back and listen to this or like refer to this at some point. Um, so my advice is to um, use the limitations of audio to heighten the perception of other senses. So you know you've always heard this trope, and I, I think it's a kind of ableist trope. Like you know how they say like oh like a blind person can become like a ninja or whatever. Like I think that's like a little ableist, and that's not what I want to suggest. But I do think that you can use the limitations of audio as a medium to suggest um, that that other that people have to pay attention more to other details that they're getting. So um, particularly try to heighten the senses around texture taste, balance, direction, and smell. Um, so, so those are the senses that I think you, if, if you want to like write a really good scene, you can really ground people using those five senses, which I understand are not the same five senses everyone else is used to. I think there's like 10 senses. I don't really get how that works. Um, and, then for, and then a lot of people have a lot of questions about like how, how do I write like a good sex scene? And um, I, I mean, I don't want to like toot my own horn. I think that was a pretty good sex scene. Um, so, so, so here is like what my advice is for like how to write a good one. Uh, and which is that everything that happens in a sex scene should say something about the characters. So, for example, um, I would say, you know, don't hesitate even to use the smallest details. So, um, like, just the, just like the briefest, like, subconscious, like, brush of one's nose or, you know, like, just, um, like, recoiling at someone's stuff. Please come in instead of giggling in the door. Okay. Um, you might be waiting for the next Oh, sure. but the, it's we at, got time. We it's got at, plenty of time. It's at four, right? At four, yeah. At you, four. yeah. I'll, I'll give you a five-minute warning. Thank you so much. No worries. Um, so, or like even like just like a shiver or recoiling at someone's like clammy touch. Like those are all such <coughs> human things that are decidedly unsexy on their own, but really ground people and humanize them. And that's something that can really bring people into a quick question about that. Yeah. So I noticed um, like this scene in particular, there was that back and forth between the characters and the beforehand in which like the vampire was going, hey, is this okay? This is what you're getting into, all of that. Uh -huh. And then we had this other character being like, I want to be empowered in this moment. Like, I'm, I'm for it. Yeah. Is that something that you did at the beginning to kind of highlight this is going to be this interaction? Because that clearly said a lot about both characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you carried it through through the sex scene. Yeah, well, I think well, I think they, I think the characters have good intentions when they say those things. I don't. I actually wouldn't yeah. say that that interaction is a perfect model of like verbally of like verbal enthusiastic yeah. consent, um, which is actually something I'll get to in just a moment. But I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it, it will like hopefully like prime our minds for what we're about to just get into in a moment, which is consent. Uh, but um, right before that, I just wanted to say, um, remember again that eroticism appeals to not just the senses but the sensibilities. Um, and again, by sensibilities, I mean understated feelings that rely on the associative mind. So, for example, why is sex with a vampire hot? Because I'm hot. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? But basically, but basically they're like, 
Does anyone have an answer? Or? Dangerous. Yeah, they're dangerous, right? Okay. So what makes danger erotic is literally the next bullet point. <laughs> like, why is danger erotic? It encompasses a lot of the same body reactions. Mm -hmm. Okay. 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 It's it gets the heart pumping. That's a great answer. Adrenaline. Yeah, and this is maybe like a, a bit of a book club question for folks who have listened to it. So why, why does Samir seek out risky encounters? He's been fairly safe so yeah. far, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's he's been kind of just in his little bubble. Sure. Like the whole caravan experience is like him going, oh, I can do things. Yeah. <laughs> so like. He wants to feel alive. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't want to feel alive. And yeah, so that's um, so that's where I, you know, this, this is also kind of why I put the content note um, at the beginning that we might be also talking about some heavier topics. So, you know, I think over the whole season, it becomes clear that Samir is also a very de profoundly depressed person. And I, I don't think I could write a character who's neurotypical ever. Uh, but, basic, but, but yeah, um, but, but, I th but I think his depression really... Um, um, you know, encourages him to seek out risk-seeking behavior um, because it allows because it allows him to again emulate emulate a lot of the like the danger emulates a lot of those feelings associated with intimacy. Um, so now uh, this is now now we're going into kind of the point that we were talking about just a moment ago. So uh, my next piece of advice is try to model responsible sexual behaviors. Um, so uh, the bullet point says portray mutual enthusiastic consent. Um, however. Um, oh, well, let me get to this other bullet point. So um, this is a piece of advice. Your characters should have places they like to be touched, things they like those parts to be called, names they like to be called themselves, and they should ask each other what those are. Um, so I think a lot of folks, um, particularly people who only are um, sexually intimate with um, cis people, might not be aware of this. But like, um, but if you have sex with other trans people, um, a lot of people will use gendered um, terms to refer to different genitalia. So people might say dick, but be talking about a clitoris, or people might say pussy, but be talking about their anus. Um, and that those terms are used much more interchangeably, and not a lot of people are aware of that. So it's always really important to ask. Where do you like to be touched, and you know what do you like it to be called? And I know that sounds very um, academic, but like I've always found it to be very attractive. Um, yeah. So, and then this is kind of the last point that I put, and I'm so oh fuck me. Okay. I just like skipped ahead. On the side. Uh, skip, 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 skip. Um, Anyway, this is a, this is an old vintage Seven Up sign that says "wet, wet and wild." Um, I have to read this bullet point verbatim because I took a long time writing it. Uh, okay, so most people are flawed. In the heat of the moment, formally verbalized consent may often be absent, dubious, or understood between parties. But if portraying scenarios like this in the interest of realism, try not to outright endorse them. As a culture, we should encourage best practices wherever possible. So where I landed on this is that I think that Samir and um, Miguel are two people who obviously don't want to actually cause each other serious injury. And so it would be like, hey, is this okay? But I do not think that they are the people who are just quite at the point at where a lot of us in our culture might be are, where they have the perfect vocabulary and lexicon to talk about informed consent. So I wanted to show that like, this is obviously like a flawed portrayal, and I don't want to be endorsing that, but I wanted to show that <laughs> they're not also outright assaulting each other. Um, yeah. So, um, and, and I think most of us in this culture who, who have experienced you know, sexual intimacy with other people, at least physically, um, have not been in 100% perfectly verbally contracted, enthusiastic <laughs> sexual situations. But I wouldn't be so quick to call those assaults. Some, for some people, they might be, and that's 100% valid. But I wanted to show that this is flawed and that people can live in this kind of um, gray area. And I hate to say blurred lines because that just makes me visceral. <laughs> but, 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 but please call me out if I am not phrasing this well. I hope it is clear what I am trying to say there. If it is not, please talk to me about it. Um, so then um, the next like vertical, I guess, we're talking about is the acting. Um, so this is an image of just like some hot statues. Um, and, uh, and it says, boys like me were made for loving boys like you, um, which is a line from um, the finale. Um, so here's a pro tip. So this is a lesson I learned from um, doing the first season that I wish I had known. And I'm imparting to you also, you could just do it ahead of time, is put your content notes in your scripts. Like, just do it so that your actors can also be prepared and, uh, you know, feel feel safe and reassured. And, you know, it was annoying because, you know, when I was sending out all of these emails, I had to be like, oh, by the way, just to remember, in episode 10, we talk a lot about suicide. And I just like, had to send that 10 times, which was just awful for me. So, like, why I was just like, why don't I just put this in the script so that everybody can feel 
um, you know, supported, you know, and just every, everybody can feel that they're accounted for. Um, so I also, when you're um, working with actors and directing them, I just want to say that, like, those are two actors working on a very professional level that takes a lot of vulnerability and a lot of trust. They did that live. So, like, it wasn't like they sent separate recordings of themselves moaning. Like, we asked them, like, can you please do this and play off of each other. So, it was, um, so again, one professional actor, one first-time voice actor, and it took a lot of trust to get there. So, my advice is give actors time to get comfortable with one another and, you know, really have them do every other scene beforehand so that they can develop a rapport because you do not want to, like, escalate to the most intense scene possible. They will give it their best effort, but it's just not going to be warm in the way that you want it to. So it'll just give you um, a better opportunity to get the best performance out of them. And my other piece of advice is in casting calls, clearly mark which roles require voice work with explicit audio. So mm -hmm. I was extremely lucky in that all the actors I hired were down with it. And, you know, some actors like listened to that sex scene and were like, hey, can you write a sex scene for me next season? <laughs> so like, that was very lucky, but, but that's not, but you can't rely on that luck, right? Um, so actually what we're doing, so we're hoping to put out casting calls by the end of the month. And we're actually saying, um, you know, these are the roles in which you will be performing explicitly voiced audio. So, like, please be aware of that. And, like, we will make every accommodation. Like, so we have this kind of, like, mini bill of rights. So we say, you know, uh, you're welcome to ask to pause recording at any time. You can take as many breaks as you need. We'll make every reasonable accommodation to make you comfortable. And the harassment policy always applies, right? So we just try to, like, set the tone that way. But um, I think just having that up front in the casting call is something I wish I had done. And I hope you will all do now that you know. Uh, thank you. Um, so now we're on to the very last one, which is the sound and the music. Um, this is uh, two of my favorite paintings. So one is like this very hot vampire bite, and then the other is Judith's like Holofernes. Um, yeah. Um, so here, so here's, um, so I'll talk a little bit about sound design, and then I'll talk a little bit about the music composition. So again, sounds that don't seem bad on paper are a lot more intense in your ear. So um, if you have Again, in real sex, right, you have like squishes and slurps, sucks and thrusts. Uh, please use those very judiciously. Um, you know, so, so they actually do exist in that sex scene, but they're actually, you'll see they're, they're very muted because I actually don't think that, that was the most sexy part of the scene. Like I actually think the emotional connection between them and the danger that they were willing to throw themselves in was much more attractive. So that was what we decided to highlight in the sound design. Um, it also says, oh, this is a great visual joke. So it says, not all sounds have to be pleasant. If a vampire chomps down, commit to the bit. <laughs> but, but it says, commit to the bit, and then apostrophe E. So it could be commit to the bite. But does anybody speak French here? Yeah. Okay, no, there we go. So there's like, a, there's like a third little extra joke, right, for you. Um, so don't forget to still convey your environment. So we still had a lot of bumping into furniture, the crates falling over, the tarot cards slipping off of the crate. Um, so ask yourself, like, what objects give way? What objects break? Um, and then for um, the composer, oh, I really wish Hapis was here because he, uh, he composed this wonderful piece for it that I went back and forth um, with him on for a very long time. But I basically said, you know, we're in this realm. So if, if you haven't listened to the show, basically this whole scene happens inside Samir's heart. There's this um, extra realm inside of him that he kind of <coughs> retreats to in his dreams where he meets people that he has developed special connections with, like this vampire. So this is a dream version of a vampire that he knows in real life. So I said, you know, can you make this really short, tight melody um, of only a few notes that can hook and repeat, um, which is what he did. So it has that down, now, 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 which is kind of, it's just like that one, two, three, four, and it kind of just like repeats um, for that um, opening conversation that they have. Um, but then as things start to kind of like, um, like if you're, if you're talking about like a perfect equilibrium situation, like as things kind of like tilt towards like sexy times or towards chaos, um, we had the notes play in reverse and then we had them, you know, arpeggiate when, you know, things get steamy to kind of convey the shift in mood and action. Um, and then we tried to use a distinctly electronic or synthetic sound to contrast from the acoustics that you would hear in the Wild West to convey how surreal this experience was. Um, and then obviously the track concludes with this crescendo that's timed for when Samir and Miguel climax, right? She goes, the vampire, and ah! And they're, like, you know, they're coming all over each other, and then at the end, you know, we have the music kind of fade down, but still that down, 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 down. So it's, um, it's the, we use the after, we kind of portray the afterglow by having this kind of um, diminishing um, erratic scales kind of just like finishing off the piece, which is really lovely. Um, I also had a music piece of that that I'm not going to play because you heard it and um, I just want to recommend some further listening. So 
Um, if you want to learn who else makes audio erotic audio fiction, um, well, you, can, you should listen to Caravan by The Whisper Forge. I've heard it's very good. Um, <laughs> if you're not, if you're not a fan of like fat brown people having your sex and you like your sex like much thinner, whiter, and gayer, um, there is Dream Boy by Nightville Presents. Yeah. Um, you know, it is, I actually think it's extremely well done and uses it in very different ways. But I also think there are certain demographic things happening there. Um, I, I also these are all links, so you can listen to all these. You can view them all there. Um, Red Riding Hood's Child by N.K. Jemisin. Um, N.K. Jemisin is an incredible Hugo um, award-winning author. This is a short story she wrote in 2003. Literally, the text of it has been scrapped from the internet. You cannot find the text, but somebody did um, an audio recording of it. And to this day, like, I listened to it in 2003, and I was like, this is the hottest shit I've ever heard in my life. Um, if you do a transcript of it, please send it to me. But it is, like, the best, <laughs> hottest thing I've ever heard, and, like, it has inspired, like, everything else I've ever written. Um, Novelis Erotica is um, a, uh, it, you can find it, like, on any podcatcher. It's basically people reading erotic fiction. Uh, how much time do we have? Uh, Four uh, minutes? We want to have a couple of a buffer so people can okay, switch so in. How much time would you say? I would say, I'll give you another minute and a half. Okay. 90 seconds, go! Okay. <laughs> um, and then there's also um, our um, Argon Wild Audio, which is um, a Reddit subreddit where people actually just like post um, erotic audio of themselves, like jerking off or whatever. Um, there isn't really a lot of storyline or crap. But I don't put it to laugh at it. Um, actually, like this was my first exposure to other people doing it and kind of I was like, wait, but I want a good-ass story with this. Um, so what have we learned? Oh, my... F okay, there's, here's a whole lot of things, um, some final thoughts and advice that I'm going to rattle off to you very quickly. Sex positivity is not the same as sexual liberation. If we were all sexually liberated, it would be perfectly okay to not have sex and not be expected to. Body positivity is not the same as body justice. Uh, we can't just be body positive by centering thin people's experiences. We also have to accept fat justice. Queerness as a political agenda is very distinct from queerness as an identity. We still live in a world with conservative notions of what makes for proper storytelling. Some, perhaps many, will disagree with the story you have to tell or the way you decide to tell it. Hold the fight into where you can win it. It is far better to live a life having told your story truthfully than live a life spent screaming on the inside. <laughs> <sighs> what questions do you have for me? <laughs> No, but seriously, can I take one question? Take one question. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. One question. I don't see anybody bursting down the question. door. I think we're fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, it was just the best talk ever. <laughs> <laughs> no so Have you had anyone? Um, well, I know you've had homophobic reviews. I've seen. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we've. I've had them too. But have you had anyone who was like, "Oh my God, BDSM" in your, in your podcast? Yeah. Oh, oh, as in people on the team? Yeah. Um, no, people on the team were pretty receptive to it, or I think if they had seen it and were put off by it, it weren't the people, it wasn't the people involved, and I don't know, like, I, I would be really surprised if anyone was bothered by it, but just to be safe, that's why I want to make it so much clearer in the casting call for season two. By the way, this is more erotic than you've heard, because season two will have, like, public werewolf gangbang. Like, like, you know, so just be ready for that. Um, yeah, um, I just want to say last thing is um, thank you so much for the opportunity to give this talk. It means a lot to me. There is so much more I wish I could say about this. I'm sorry um, that it wasn't like like visually available to you and that I wasn't prepared for that. But if you have questions about how to get a hold of this or the slides or how to distribute it to other people, get a hold of me somehow. And you are welcome to like copy paste it, reuse it, no attribution needed. Um, I mean, don't steal Travis's music, but like, <laughs> like, please, like do whatever you want with it. Thank you. Have a good. Talk to you.